Hi, and welcome back to episode number 343. Today, I am talking to Grace David. She is the CEO of Educacion.ph. Educacion is a Philippine-based education portal helping the youth of the Philippines get better educated. It is, of course, a private sector initiative but it is very much a social enterprise and it is headed by Grace David, who has had a lifelong passion in education. So it's really great to see these innovations and initiatives happening in the Philippines to, of course, better educate the Philippine youth so that they can compete better on the global market. And that is exactly our interest here at Outsource Accelerator to see uh, globalized employment happening more. And of course, to do that, you need the upskilling of the people, the educating of the people, uh, so that everyone can contribute on the same level. So it's a great conversation with Grace. Uh, I certainly learned a lot about the Philippine education system and also how education is helping them. If you want to uh, see any more about education, go to uh, their website, which is at education.ph. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you're already outsourcing, about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your outsourcing practices. We list over 700 outsourcing suppliers on our website, host this leading outsourcing podcast, and have over 5,000 pages of content. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. We offer everything from light brokerage, co-managed services, through to fully managed solutions. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Mention that you're a podcast listener and we will give you special attention plus a 10% discount. This is for a limited time only. Go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Grace, welcome to the show. Hi, Derek. Thank you so much for having education in mind and for allowing us to be part of this conversation. It's an absolute pleasure, and I'm, I'm really excited for this uh, conversation we're about to have. Grace, I suppose we can start by uh, getting you to introduce the journey and mission of education, but as well also you have uh, a lot of personal experience and, and mission associated with um, education generally. So um, yeah, tell us what education is and, and what brought you to the company. Yes. Let me start by, by quickly introducing myself first um, and how I got to discover education and falling in love uh, with this organization. So I am actually uh, 
I would say, raised and, and uh, trained in the corporate world. So my years of experience was really about uh, doing brand management, marketing, and sales, mostly for FMCG company, but has always been passionate about education. My weekends during that time was actually dedicated to doing volunteer work, teaching. So um, I, I really wanted to be in a classroom full of kids. That, that, was, that was the dream. Um, but I also know that education, if you want to be in education, it is a vocation. And as a vocation, you're not financially rewarded. So during that time, I was like thinking, okay, I need to rise up in the corporate, corporate world fast so I could save up money. When I have enough savings, I could jump into the education space. Not until in one of my international assignments, I was based in Jakarta and I was exposed to social entrepreneurship. And that gave me a wow feeling wherein you could do good for the society while at the same time be financially rewarded. And that's when my journey coming back in the Philippines started. Um, so two years ago is when I made a bold move wherein I'm going to jump out of corporate, be in the education space and find out what exactly I could contribute. And thankfully, that's when I met the founder um, of Education, who is Henry Mott Munoz, who also actually grew up, a, a Filipino also, but grew up outside and went back actually here in the Philippines to make sure that we will be able to contribute um, to the progress of education, especially in helping out our Filipino youth. So we share a common value, and that's when conversation started. And that's when my journey here in education.ph started. And what I'm thankful is that the very discipline I've actually nurtured during my corporate days is exactly the same skill set required so that we will be effective in serving um, in the education sector. So education is focused on making sure that we are able to provide informed um, decision-making process of our Filipino youth from education to employment, wherein we just don't want them to, to just be in front of a, of a teacher or in a classroom. We want them to be really purposeful um, in their education journey, wherein it's not just going through the routinary process of like, oh, I'm a student, this is my season. It's more, it's also allowing them to, to have that awareness of what career they want to pursue be aligned actually um, with the skills and interests that they have, align it actually with an available career so that as young as they are, uh, they really are able to prepare themselves with a journey towards that future career. So, so there, education is all about guiding our Filipino youth um, from education to employment. Something you said there, which really resonated with me, was was almost your what you saw as your uh, prerogative to almost go into volunteer work or charity work associated with education, basically. But then, you know, it's the power of capitalism and entrepreneurship where you can combine, uh, you know, the, the main mechanisms of society and still look for a, a, a kind of capitalist career. And, and still True. drive forward, but still do immense good uh, in society. You know, it's it's a great feeling, isn't it? When you can, you know, build something, um, you can also sort of pursue like hidden tycoon passions, but also do incredibly well for society. These things can work together, can't they? 
Super. Like, I'm thankful that the two things could intersect. Your vocation and your career could exactly be one, the same role. Because like before, you would always think, oh, it's me- the vocation you want to do, it's mainly like for your volunteer work, for the free time outside your, your career days, right? Um, but what I'm thankful is that a social enterprise could really exist. It's just hard. It's not like, because like, for instance, um, it's not just building a business, but as you are building your business, you're also making sure, is that business a true answer to a societal problem? Because like for me, that's when I know we're doing good hard work. Because if it's just building a business, as long as I'm able to monetize this, I'm fine. Actually, then the work is done. But right now, the reason why we're saying the work isn't fully done yet, because yeah, my revenue and profit, it's growing, but am I really addressing um, the education problem of our Filipino youth? That every time we're able to run one project, are we able to help out a Filipino youth getting qualified to a job? And mm-hmm. if the answer to there is no, but you see your business growing, then you know your business is not yet completely done, right? So so there. So I'm, I'm, it's just a difficult situation and a business to run, but thankful that you have that opportunity to be addressing both um, where we are right now in this startup. It is a very complex topic, isn't it? Social enterprises and charities to some degree, not that you're a charity, but in, you know, how do you balance the interests of the sustainability of the business or the charity or the foundation underneath it, yet you're doing you know, you're giving everything you can to the betterment of the mission. It, it seems far simpler, far more binary for a business where they just have the mission of, you know, kind of making profits, keep, you know, there's always sort of a lot of interest, making profits, keeping shareholders uh, happy, but also, of course, making uh, a great product and the customers happy. But it does complicate things when there's multiple North Stars in a way, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. Um, especially because there is a perception in the education space. We're in, especially when I was starting, my background is corporate. And then, of course, there's like really a business sense that I want to establish every time I have conversations, not just with my team, but also with the other stakeholders in the entire ecosystem of education. It feels like it's a taboo if you're talking about revenue and profit in the education space. Because there's that natural expectation, it should really be like charity, volunteer work. And I have nothing against it. But if we would always just be moving and, and running education with based on um, available funding that's, that's really more of like charity and, and, and volunteer type of work, first, we're limiting the resources available. And then next is, there's there's a certain question like, are you really here to do good or you're just here to cream profit out of mm. this exercise, right? So I'm, I'm still here to, to share that, yes, there's going to be profit and revenue discussion involved, but we need that to make sure that what we're doing is sustainable. What they don't want to happen at, the, uh, at a certain program is that because we're just waiting for available funding, and what if especially now with the pandemic, not all businesses are doing good. And automatically, you know, your source of funding is getting risk. Uh, I mean, it's at risk, right? So having actually an enterprise uh, 
with, with revenue and profit allows you with better su- sustainability and allows you to create that cycle, continuous cycle of support that you could provide. So I think that that's that's the first item uh, that gets that needs to be addressed um, when we are in a social enterprise. Um, it, it shouldn't feel. Uh, you, there should be no guilt if there is actually profit getting delivered. Because at the end of the day, I mean, capitalism doesn't have to be evil after all. Mm-hmm. If we're able to generate that much um, uh, resources, additional resources, because you're able to run your business well, uh, it could flow back again to the good things that you're doing. So so there. So I think that's that's the first mindset that, I would want um, to be established in, in a social enterprise, more so in the education space. Not because we are a for-profit organization. It doesn't mean that our intention of doing good is of lesser value for the other enterprises who are not for profit. Um, in fact, maybe I haven't seen the, the exact math and the, the stats here, but maybe because we have now both for-profit and non-profit uh, working within the education space, there could be more investment, more innovation that could happen in the education sector. So that's the first kind of cultural mindset that I'm hoping um, uh, to, to influence. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, on the complexity of running the business, that it's not just about the metric of are you growing your valuation? Are you growing your financials? That's one big metric. But what's nice is that because there are two main metrics that you're doing, uh, you're checking your profitability metrics together with your purpose. You're able to put a soul and a conscience to your profit decisions. So that's how now you prioritize things. And it's extra layer of complexity, I must say, in running a business. But when you see the output, it's worth it. And that's a kind of enterprise you want to be established anyway in the economy, right? You're not just there to grow the, the, the financial numbers, but you want to make sure that your society has that sense of fulfillment while doing the work. Then you know you're able to create really a community, not just with financial rewards, but really individuals who are very much inspired on what they're doing. And yeah, th- that's that's what we do. Um, it's a education it's an enterprise. Is, is such a broad umbrella term, isn't it? Because education is a basic human right now, and people have a human right to education. So it's it ranks way up there. But then you also have, you know, tertiary education, and you have the Harvards, and you know, people call Harvard like a, a hedge fund with a school attached. Like they have so much money, it's ridiculous. And, and you would suggest also that it's not a human right to have a Harvard degree. Uh, and so there's this huge spectrum in there. And as you, you know, with education's mission, it's it's not about education for education's sake. It's it's the, the, the end point of education is to get a meaningful existence and a meaningful career. And so I think a lot of people in education can almost lose the, the woods for the trees uh, in that, um, you know, it, it kind of glorifies the education, but the point of education is to really equip you for the world, for society, to get a job and to contribute. So it's it's interesting, and I think it's valuable that you are positioning, you know, your functions 
to, to see that whole uh, life cycle, I suppose, you know, education, sure, but, but what is it for? What is it achieving and helping those outcomes as well? Yeah, I mean, exactly how you've explained it. Because like before, um, actually before jumping into to education, I thought it was enough to make sure that um, our youth will get a chance to be in the school. Get school, be enrolled, be in the school, get your diploma. You're set for life. Right. So so we thought that was like the main ticket item, just a diploma. But like when I saw the stats, a diploma here in the Philippines before the pandemic, even with a diploma, only half gets to land in a job. And that for me is like, just imagine how many years of um, parents investing to that education. And then now, even after like getting that diploma, doesn't guarantee you 100% that it's a ticket to a start of a career. And that allowed us in education to rethink, is this really the most um, efficient and fulfilling learning journey for every Filipino youth? So it's not enough to just say, let's enroll them. Because even if like, yeah, you're Harvard, but like after getting a Harvard degree, are you able to land in a, not just in a job, but also in a job that you are passionate about so that you know you're not just earning money. There's that self-fulfillment and at the same time, a meaningful contribution towards the advancement of the economic uh, condition of the country or of the society. So, so there, like if you have those factors in mind, you would really look at education at a different lens. Mm -hmm. So, and that's where we would want um, to be present. And there's the issue slightly of qualification inflation, isn't there? Like my, you know, I think our parents' generation, there was kind of few of them that would have degrees, whereas now it is so normalized and now, you know, everyone sort of pushes towards a master's or PhD, and, but then eventually everyone's going to have master's. And then, you know, mm -hmm. and, and if you, you sort of got, to the dream state of everyone having degrees, then everyone would be back at square one because you're then everyone's everyone's kind of normalized with a degree. So it's you are right. It's more about the outcome and it's more about giving people the tools necessary to be uh, highly functioning within society, isn't it? Correct. Like I mean, to the example you're you're saying, um, we. What happened is like there's certain jobs, there's certain degrees that we thought that's the path to success. And that's why everyone else thought I should be taking that. But if we look at our economy, it can't be everyone. I mean, we could have um, talents who are all business managers. Someone has to be running something on the ground. Somebody has to be skilled on non-business items. And that's where we need to get awareness of. And not just awareness of. But take pride that even if, okay, my job right now, it's not like of an MBA degree qualification. But you know that if we're not able to fill up that certain role, that business will not be effective. So it's um, first getting into an understanding that there's no one path only to success. And that... Um, Success is not defined with roles inside an air-conditioned room. Like, there are a lot of jobs that is required outside an air-conditioned office room to run our economy. And um, it's really with the, the appreciation wherein 
we are a body, we are a team, and everyone has a specific skill to contribute. And the reality is, we cannot be um, the expert or the skilled one for every type of task or work that needs to be done. There is someone in this world who is born to be the very best at a certain skill. And we want them to do that role because that's when you know you have a very functional ecosystem. And, you know, there's this formal education, which I think we are mainly referring to now, but there's so much informal education and probably the job or employment is one of the biggest informal educators, you know, that what you learn on the job and in practice is is huge, isn't it? You know, across a person's career, uh, once yeah. you get on that ladder, it, it's endless learning and personal development mm-hmm. and skill development. So uh, anyway, let's, I mean, that it's, it is a fascinating, fascinating subject. For those that aren't a part of the Philippines and maybe even those that are, can you give us a, a snapshot of what the Philippine education system is like and also education standards? Um, I explained to, you know, a lot of our clients that there are mm-hmm. equivalent Ivy League colleges here in the Philippines. Um, you even get Harvard and Princeton grads here in the Philippines. But, it, yeah. it, you know, that isn't the whole picture, of course. Now there's there's a whole spectrum in the Philippines. But when, how do you see the snapshot of Philippine education system and educational attainment? Okay. Um, first, when we say education right now, automatically what we perceive is that those students who are enrolled in a school, right? So that, that's how we say, okay, this individual is educated. But unfortunately here in the Philippines, not everyone gets enrolled into a school, whether it's going to be a public or private school. Um, so in education, we did a projection. Like how many Filipino youth, ages 15 to 24, will there be by year 2025? And in our projection, we saw it could be as high as 21 million. But right now, it's just about 30% who is actually really enrolled, whether it's in a public or private school um, right now. So only 30% of that is, is actually in a, a, in a formal school setup. So that's around just like around 6.5 mil. Now, we know we need to make sure that this 6.5 mil um, Filipino youth gets to, to graduate. So there's, there's that support that's being provided to them. But there's actually a bigger chunk who is not formally in the school. And what we're seeing is that there is an opportunity to make an impact, not just for the students who are actually enrolled formally in the school, but more so for those who are actually unenrolled. What we're seeing in the economy right now is that one biggest need is not really more four-year college degree holders. Our economy needs specific experts on certain fields. And that's where we're actually trying to make an impact right now, creating an awareness first that um, in terms of education, it shouldn't be limited to the formal schooling anymore, especially of a four-year college degree. They could start a career even if they end up choosing getting skilled first um, on on certain uh, certain technical um, items. And we've seen that already. We're in technical vocational courses wherein you could finish um, a learning or your upskilling in less than four years. In fact, 
there are a lot of courses right now um, that is available that they could finish in less than one year. So those would be the kind of um, new learning opportunities that's being made available to our Filipino youth. Mm. And that's a really exciting evolution, I think, happening across the world. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of this online education now, the MOOCs, the uh, code camps and things like that. And mm-hmm. do, you, do you see the Philippines really in isolation in terms of the educational tools available? Or do you now, you know, as, as education, do you, do you kind of tap into the global tools available, the code camps and things like that? How do you differentiate or, you know, how do you uh, discern where you're going to point people and which tools are the best? Okay. First, what's nice is that with technology, tools are much more accessible and very convenient in having that um, that access, right? Um, and the pandemic has just opened our eyes more that, you know what, geographic location is not any more a limitation if you want to upskill yourself. Unlike before, um, yeah, please fly into this country so that you could get access to the best um, information available to a certain field that you want. Right now, Everything is available from your very home, so I think th- that one is that one is really good. Um, what's nice also is that there's now better awareness that certain jobs are actually uh, available uh, to to more to more talents, and the qualification is not any more limited again to to four year courses. Now that there's access to different learning materials, for instance, there's a high demand for for digital marketing right now, for tech developers right now. And you don't need to wait for you to be a a graduate of K-12 to even start learning those kinds of certification. In fact, some of our high school students could be taking their high school online classes right now while accessing all these new computer coding courses at the same time. So this situation is allowing our learners to actually accelerate themselves to be qualified for a certain job, not anymore waiting for that formal process of completing a, a college degree. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? The mm. redundancy of knowledge and learning is, is, is churning through so fast now. Like what is... What is current and relevant one year ago is now no longer current or relevant. And, you know, you're having to learn things and relearn things so fast. Whereas I think sort of 50 or 100 years ago, you could almost learn once and you're set for your lifetime. Whereas Mm -hmm. everything is changing so fast now, isn't it? But also that's a good thing because you can almost take a three-month course and then you're kind of up to date uh, for the next year. Um, Curious. It's fascinating. And do you see... The youth of today, you know, the kind of 15 to 20-year-olds, those ones that are engaged and they have a passion and they're able to tap into the online courses, the YouTubes, you know, all the, the forums. And they they are on it, – it's all becoming more democratized now, isn't it? They're, they're on more of an even playing field than ever before with anyone in any country. Like they can potentially educate themselves and become as proficient as anyone across the world. Is that is that kind of what you're seeing with people? So true. Like, um, and that again is thank you to technology. 
because you could just really easily access those world-class information. So for me, there would just be two main factors right now that we need to influence uh, with our Filipino youth. First is their interest, because at the end of the day, even if all these learning tools are available right in front of you, it's, it's already becoming more a conversation of like your self-discipline and your grit that has to come into play. Because there should be no excuse anymore, right? Um, it's, it's right in front of you. It's more about of like you taking that first step and having that discipline for you to complete it. Because like right now, what we're seeing is that we, we offer it, we show it to our youth. They would start it, but are they really completing it? And that becomes a different journey right now. So obviously, um, having those tools available, but also making sure that we are engaging our youth so that the soft skills could also be developed while they are taking all those technical hard skills learning opportunities. So, so it's not just enough that you have those tools in front of them. Human connection is still very much important because at the end of the day, you are able to develop that self-discipline, that grit, not just by doing things alone, but if you are actually in connection with a real human being as well. And so for us, like in education, it's very important that we just don't actually define a curriculum of this are now the hard skills required. And by the time you finish this, you are fully qualified to take the job. What we're seeing is that it's not enough that the hard skills are there. The soft skills, the confidence to, to really be able to do the job should also be present. So th that's one aspect of it. And there we know that education has, has a direct influence and control um, to make it happen. Where we don't have a, di a direct control is on the infrastructure side. Um, at the end of the day, Philippines is still... Um, uh, on a, on a work in progress on making sure that um, internet access is available to everyone. Obviously, we have other partners, um, tech partners, who would be establishing and finding solution for that aspect. But right now, amongst those who have um, direct access already um, to the infrastructure and to internet, we want to make sure that it's not just hard skills that's being made available to them, but also the opportunity that the soft skills will be added um, and a holistic learning will be happening. And there is, you know, there is huge disparity in the Philippines and it's something that, you know, we're all working hopefully towards eradicating um, and bringing the bottom up. Um, and the, the human right aspect of education is that, you know, everyone needs that baseline of education. And I think once they get that, then, then they can utilize, you know, a lot of these other tools that are out there. But without that baseline, I suppose they're kind of excluded from from all of those other tools, aren't they? How how do you see the 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 sort of the mass education and the younger years of education? Um, what is that situation like in the Philippines? And is it is it sort of generally improving or or not? Okay. Um... It's funny that you're asking that question because like even the uh, the decision makers in the education system are giving different answers to that question. All because like they're choosing, even if they're looking at the same data, sometimes the interpretation is all of different. Um, our scores when it comes to basic learning has actually declined. 
So even if um, the, the students are actually in the schools, um, is literacy getting, getting addressed? Um, especially when it comes to English conversation. Is our English conversation improving or maintained? Um, some would say, some would say like, oh, it, it didn't because the scores are actually at a decline. Others would say, even if those hard facts are, are available, they would say, you know what? It has been improving because look at our outsourcing uh, industry. It, it has, we were, we are able to supply um, demand for that. So it varies. But here's what I, I would say, um, the, the number that I would be looking at. Uh, right now, unemployment rate is still so high. It's more so now with the, with the pandemic, right? Um, and then if you speak actually to different business owners, recruitment is their most difficult, unfulfilled task right now. So just see, um, there is like a high number of individuals unemployed, but when you speak to business owners, they're having a difficult time hiring, not because there's not enough CVs or candidates to interview, but because there's not enough qualified talents. And for me, that's the metric I'm looking at. If there's actually an imbalance between the demand and the supply, then there's still something wrong in our education sector. Because even if we're producing graduates or even like K to 12 graduates, we're still not able to supply the demand of the economy. And for me, that's already a reflection of what kind of quality we have in our education system. So it's not enough that we put them inside the classroom and say that they are enrolled. Um, we've got to really find out is that are, are they actually getting qualified to really start a job um, after that education journey? So for me, um, I, I still see that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in our education space. Unemployment is, is actually increasing right now. And for me, it's, again, a reflection of what we're doing in, in the education sector. I speak to, to industry leaders and they're still not able to employ good enough quantity and quality of talents. We go back again to education space. So, yeah, unfortunately, I, I don't have a, uh, a good flashy number to answer you with that question. But the work that needs to be done is very clear. Everything comes back to supply and demand ultimately. And, and I think that the... the, the silver lining is that there is huge demand for qualified, capable Filipinos, you know, and I think that's reflecting in the huge booming offshore staffing mm -hmm. and outsourcing industry. So at yeah. least there's good demand there, which would hopefully encourage supply. And, you know, at least we're not having graduates that are graduating and then there's just nothing for them and we're in some sort of Cold War kind of environment mm -hmm. where nothing's happening. So there's a lot of economic encouragement and, and Sim stimulation out there uh, that is really exciting. And I think it's just, um, you know, critical to get the people trained up to sort of world-class standards so that they can, yeah. they can really sort of fuel this offshore staffing. Now, education itself is focused on, on one part. Now, the education and job needs of a five-year-old 
um, is very different to to a sort of 20 to 25-year-old. And so you focus on the latter part of the spectrum, is that right, in terms of the latter parts of education and then that transition into meaningful employment. And how do you specifically uh, work on that? Okay. Right now, our current offering is focused on our senior high school students and junior high school students. Obviously, they belong to the um, the K-12 program. Reason for that is because as early as junior high school, we are already asking them to make a choice on a certain strand. And this trend is actually a, a choice on which field or which career they want to pursue. Because by the time they get enrolled in senior high school, certain electives, certain subjects are already getting offered to them that is focused onto that um, career aspiration. So just imagine at a very young age, uh, we are already asking them in their early teens, we are already asking them what career you want to pursue. So um, we are involved there on creating career awareness um, so that they know what are the different jobs available. Because like right now, when you speak to our youth, it's still like the, the popular formal careers that they know of, being a doctor, being an engineer, a nurse, and those are really good career. But like right now, um, what we want them to understand is that there's like a lot other careers available. So that's uh, that's actually the kind of information we're providing to our junior, senior high school. And then, of course, having um, assessment tests so that they get to know themselves also. Because it should be an intersection of like, this is my interest, this is my passion. What are actually the careers available based on their own interest and passion. And then finding out also what would be the skills required so that they could pursue that career. So that's the kind of guidance we're providing to our junior and senior high. And that's what's available on our website. Um, there. So that's where our core attention and our core offering is focused on right now. Ah, interesting, interesting. And it's do, do you have a lot of conversation about, you know, startups, and entrepreneurship is so in vogue now, isn't it? When I was a kid, I think I was quite entrepreneurial, but there was none of this conversation around startups and entrepreneurship and VCs and pitching. And uh, do, do, you, do you see that now coming through, you know, the kids yeah. as, as a part of the culture? Is it becoming so normalized now? Um, I wouldn't say it's normalized, but at least the initiative um, the movement has already started. We're in when we say employment, career is not limited to just like having yourself employed. Entrepreneurship is also now getting offered. And it doesn't mean that like if you're an entrepreneur, you have to wait first that you have big capital with you before you could say, I'll be a businessman, an entrepreneur. So as early as now, there's already good awareness when it comes to startup and entrepreneurship. Um, to the young ones. And one interesting fact, most majority of our graduates right now are actually favoring an employment in a startup world versus the big corporate ones. So it's good. So the awareness is there. Um, the, the perception and the likability towards a startup is very much present already amongst our young ones. The outsourcing industry is collectively a little bit worried that the, the, the education system is not able to prepare 
the workforce to the level that is required in the outsourcing industry and, and to sort of compete on an international level. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of resources going into that to try and prepare them. And a lot of the big outsourcing suppliers are, are um, uh, you know, building technical colleges and then I think having kind of co-sponsorship things. Uh, do you, how do you see the, the preparedness of the more technical roles and also the sort of mass requirement for those roles. Do you see sort of supply in the system and a system that is building up towards those kind of skills? Okay. Um, first, what's nice is because what one topic we were discussing earlier, which is like accessibility of like these tools and not just like so-so tools, the accessibility to the best-in-class tools. So that one is being made available to our Filipino youth. Um, and apart from that, it's nice to note that there are a lot of other organizations who are setting up um, uh, the curation of these tools and making sure that there's awareness and accessibility being offered to our youth. So like, for instance, um, again, there's a big demand on um, digital marketing um, experts and technical developers and engineers, um, experts right now. And what's nice is that the learning for those um, kinds of skills is not any more limited to colleges and universities here in the Philippines. Um, A lot of uh, uh, different uh, organizations is actually making this available. So obviously with that, we are able to, to cater to more Filipino youth we're able to create awareness and allow it to be an acceptable um, uh, career option. So first, in terms of scaling, uh, what's nice is that it is available. It's just a matter of like allowing our youth, not just the youth, the parents also, um, to know that this is an alternative to college that they could pursue. Apart from just saying that it is an alternative to college, it is important for us to start creating pride for non-college degree courses because there's still that perception that if you're not a college degree holder, oh, you're not as successful as the ones who receive the diploma. But in reality is, actually, you could act- start a career. Um, and it doesn't have to be a, f- a real formal um, type of uh, a diploma that you have to take before you could start a career. So we need to also start not just having the availability, the access to those kinds of um, upskilling, but also to start creating a better perception towards non-college degree type of learning and career. And. You know, I know this isn't your sort of focus necessarily, but in terms of the college degrees, uh, what's what's the situation like in the Philippines? Like, there's there's sort of ready, abundant colleges. I, from what I understand, there's there's half kind of public, which are very uh, cheap or free, and then and then obviously mm-hmm. there's private ones. How do you see the the kind of tertiary or college education situation in the Philippines? I mean, it's still it's still of a good level and a good supply. So, um, and that's because we have good uh, op- set of options between public and private schools for, for college degree. And um, quality, I mean, these are like, especially we have very much established universities 
right? And and colleges and who continues to to make those improvements. So in terms of um, uh, the availability, it's there. In terms of enrolled students, it's there. Um, the 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 real element to, to really look at is first making sure that those who started in college make sure let, let's make sure that they get to finish that entire learning journey of eventually really getting to graduate because like right now by the time you actually have your first year college go check the numbers of how many of that first year college students gets to fourth year and really graduate the numbers get sliced into half so so the journey that we need to actually take a look that we need to t- take a look at is they've already started the journey being first year college students. Let's make sure that more than half gets to graduate. So that's the first improvement we need to to be looking at on on college. And then of course, just like what I mentioned on the employment, by the time they've actually uh, graduate, only half gets qualified um, to really get the job, even with a with a college diploma. So, so that's yeah. pretty harsh ratios, isn't it? And do you know how that compares to the US, for example, like of, of college commences to college finishes? Um, there's one, uh, there's one email actually that, that I remember just reading a few weeks ago by, by, um, Scott Galloway and, um, he, he gave good stats in that email. I just cannot recall the exact numbers, but it's pretty similar also. Um, that it's the same trend, especially even, uh, huh. I think it was more of like a comparison also of those who ends up getting to, to the popular Yale type of universities and with their, and their MBA degree. So, um, the challenge is more of like, how many seats can we make available? Because there was, there was like limited seats available and it hasn't increased. All because the issue was more of like, how do we keep the exclusivity amongst themselves? So, so it's more of like pushing the boundaries and pushing, um, culture to rethink, uh, that it shouldn't be an exclusive, uh, offering or, or access to a few, but, the, the real goal is like we would want more people getting educated because at the end of the day, that's that's a kind of impact we want to happen in the economy. And that comes around to the beginning of the conversation again, doesn't it? You know, in terms of this kind of ethics and morale of education and are you there to be an elite exclusive yeah. brand or are you there to educate the people? It's, uh, there, there's potentially some some conflicts there. But uh, no, fascinating. And I suppose, you know, as a, as a final question and, and a naive foreigner question, but really just to pose for the audience, it, it is incredible the uh, English, level of English, spoken English language penetration in the Philippines. And I, I think that people, yeah. you know, don't quite realize how incredibly sort of English-fied the whole system is. Can you give insight? What is the education system in the Philippines? How much uh, English is spoken to Tagalog or to the, the local language? Well, in our education system, the the mode of teaching is in English. So whether it's like a science, math, um, history, world history, the, the mode of teaching is in English, not just in the private schools, but also in the public schools. It's only the, the local language and um, 
uh, Philippine history that is actually taught in Tagalog or or whatever the local languages in, in certain uh, parts of the Philippines. But everything else is in English. By doing that, Obviously, there's there's better comp- comprehension, better comfort, uh, actually, of our Filipino youth to be understanding and speaking in English. The speaking part, um, I would say it varies because obviously, for some locations in the Philippines, they would still prefer that they actually speak in their local language or or at most do it in Taglish, right? So it's a combination of your local language and, and English. But again, comfort level. Um, on, on English language is very much there. And it's because that's how our education, our curriculum is, is actually defined. It really is um, taught and conversed in, in English. And it is, it's become such a unique value proposition for the Philippines, I think, isn't it? You know, for better or worse, it's had a lot of, uh, you know, U.S. and, and foreign uh, cultural um, uh, Interaction true, and but true. you know now from a commercial perspective, it's really put the Philippines into a into an incredible position to have such familiarity and cultural alignment with the with the English language and, and cultures. True. So it prepares us for a global world. I think that that's that's the advantage um, since um, English is not not learned by the time they reach college or like after college. It's actually learned and practiced. Um, starting at the primary school. Mm. And it is really a first tongue language then, isn't it? As opposed to, as you say, like a sort of, you know, something that's picked up um, in, in tertiary school kind of thing. It's, it's sure. super valuable. Grace, thank you so much. And it, you know, great insight. And again, a great company and a great mission for Educacion. If anyone wants to learn any more about you or, or Educacion or what you do, how can they do that? Yes, um, we are very much happy to, to get to know anyone who's interested to, to be part of our mission in, in advancing the, um, advancing the education to employment agenda of education. All they have to do is go visit our website, um, just go education.ph and they will see the details there and be able to, to see also our contact details. Grace, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks also, Derek. That was Grace David of education.ph. If you want to know any more about Grace or Education, go to our website, which is at outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast for the show notes. Or if you want to ask us anything, then just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.